Welcome to Distribution on the Cusp of Metamorphosis, an MCA Talk podcast series. If you're interested in concepts that impact wholesale distribution and manufacturing companies, this podcast is for you. MCA Associates, a management consulting firm since 1986, works with wholesale distribution and manufacturing companies that are seeking and are committed to operational excellence. The MCA team provides business consulting in specific areas of core competency, including operational excellence, thought leadership, and business process re-engineering, distribution center and warehouse design and resource integration, inventory and supply chain management, ERP and WMS systems technology assessment, organizational assessment and development, sales development and revenue generation, and competitive advantage assessments. And now your host, MCA Associates Principal, Howard Coleman. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in to our seventh episode. This is Howard Coleman, creator and host of the Distribution on the Cusp of Metamorphosis podcast, a MCA talk podcast series where we help companies just like your own to become more agile. Now, if you happen to be a regular reader of our MCA Talk monthly newsletter, now in its 14th year of continuous publication, then you already know that we cover a variety of distribution management-related topics focused on a lean thinking and a continuous improvement approach to your entire value stream. This podcast series allows us to expand our coverage, provide more depth and granular detail, and offers a more relaxed way for you and your company to obtain what I hope you will conclude is relevant information. From time to time, we'll have some guest speakers, and in most every episode, we offer some additional free resources related to each episode's topic. So take a moment to subscribe to the Distribution on the Cusp of Metamorphosis podcast, listen in on a regular basis, and we'll keep you up to date with the latest trends and issues impacting distribution operations. But before we begin this episode, let's just take a moment to welcome our valued sponsors for this episode. Their contact information, by the way, appears as links in the show notes. So check out these uh, great resources supporting the business of distribution. First, there's Six River Systems. Six River Systems is a leading fulfillment solution provider and part of the global commerce company Shopify. They provide a collaborative mobile robot, it's called Chuck, which operates in over 100 facilities in the United States, Canada, and Europe. The Wholesaler Magazine, always in the forefront. The Wholesaler Magazine is the number one choice for news in the plumbing, heating, cooling, and piping wholesale distribution industry. And then we have Unified Payments Group. They provide automated accounts receivable, in order to cash technology that integrates easily to Epicor Profit 21 and other ERPs for streamlined, transparent accounts receivable workflows. Unified's integrations are 85% faster and require no huge capital expenditure, so schedule a demo today. So this episode is titled, Is This the Era of the Comeback Kids? What do they want? Let's get started. So now we have this great resignation phenomenon we've all read and heard about. 
So I thought I'd try to add my own two cents. And as I reflected upon it, it brought back to mind a personal experience of mine that might be a, a good way to launch the discussion. You see, back in 2008, which by the way was right around the beginning of the financial collapse, the financial crisis, I was an invited speaker at a large distribution industry event attended by business owners and otherwise senior executives of some pretty large distribution companies. My assigned mission during both an after-dinner presentation and a full-day session the following day was to discuss the differences between Generation Y, which were typically people born around 1981 through 1984, and the baby boomers born after 1946, give or take, the beginning of the post-war years. They would have been in their early 60s at that point in time, closing in on retirement and the good life. Of course, during that financial crisis period, younger folks were having a pretty tough time finding employment. It was a buyer's market. Article after article was being written, attempting to rationalize, though, why they were being seen and thought of as being different. So I addressed those differences, some real, some others that I thought at the time were just erroneous perceptions. Fit for the job was a particular emphasis of mine. In other words, going beyond the allure of chemistry. In other words, relying on that gut feeling we sometimes get that tries to tell us, yeah, this is the right employment candidate, without really examining and understanding the personal attributes required for the job. In other words, a candidate's personality and behavioral style, the motivations, the attitudes, and the drive that a person will bring to the job, along with your knowledge and skills, which, by the way, are a lot easier to ascertain. I found that there was a general unfamiliarity of the assessment tools that were out there, and still are today for that matter, as a way to facilitate the understanding of those personal attributes that drives one's expectations. In fact, I find that even now many companies still don't consider who you truly are and whether it meshes with the opportunity being offered in the hiring company's own workplace values. Now I caution you, the word fit also has another connotation. So jot that word down and I'll explain in a few moments. The other point I emphasized at this event was the term workplace values. That is the characteristics of a company that employees value. Usually they're somewhat similar among employees of different companies, but they can vary based on sometimes age demographics. It's those employee expectations, like approachable leadership, flexibility in balancing work and life, gaining recognition, fair play, employment practices, you know, just being treated well. From a company's perspective, it may be those performance values that hiring authorities seek in a candidate. Well, I have to admit, bottom line, what I had to say, all landed with a resounding thud. Now, as a speaker, one has to take responsibility for that. You just can't point to an audience of hundreds of people, look each one of them straight in the eye, and then tell them, hey, you just don't get it. So to this day, almost 14 years later, I have to admit, and even though it's a bit foggy now, that I'm still not clear as to what went wrong. Was it just me? Was it simply they didn't like guys with mustaches? 
which by the way I shaved off as soon as I got home. No kidding, I really did. Was it about the audience collectively concluding, in effect, saying to themselves, this is more hiring and onboarding effort than I really expected or want to do? Was it just some complacency based on the then current conventional wisdom? We just don't talk about these mysterious personal attributes because we really just don't understand them. Or was it some basic attitude prevalent at the time? We have a job for you. Take it or leave it. You know, we have plenty of candidates, which by the way they did. But I did think fit, workplace values, and employee expectations were very important. Yes, I did. You see, I wanted these folks to be successful. If for no other reason, and I say this somewhat jokingly, that when you talk about the topic of younger folks as I was at the time, these people were going to pick up the tab for some of my social security benefits down the road. Hey, it was the least I could do. Okay, well maybe now I've gone a bit over the edge on that one. And maybe I've drawn this point out a bit longer than necessary. But boy, are times changing. There is, I believe, a pendulum swing in process right now that will eventually make it easier to combat the current worker shortage, the shrinking of the overall workforce. I think we must take into account four forces that are re-architecting the nature of work. First is demographics, which accounts for the shrinking of the workforce and the aging of the population. COVID-19. You know, the past two years have unbundled work and distributed work, meaning remote work, and has changed people's mindsets. Recently, I read someone's summary of what has happened, and it hits it right on the nail. It's like a champagne cork that once opened swells and will not fit back in the bottle. Remote work, or as I prefer to call it, distributed work, does not have to mean that you are isolated and you can't meet with people in other places anymore. And then we have technology, where wave after wave of new technology has changed the nature of work, where work can be done, and when it can be done. Also, it's amazing how quickly older workers have adapted to and leveraged technology. I think this may finally put to rest that baloney that they fear technology. Still another big shift is the ability to mentor, helping other people to learn the ropes. Where does that mentoring normally come from? Well, it's typically from older workers, and it can be done from outside the office too. And like almost everything else today, on Zoom. So I think there are several elephants in the room here. Otherwise, we wouldn't be seeing this dramatic change in attitudes. Now, research from the Federal Reserve seems to indicate that people are going through a period of rethinking their careers and their lives at an unprecedented rate. It's really a myth, I think, that people don't want to work or were in some way de-incentivized due to stimulus payments. What there is, is a dichotomy between work and life priorities that's taking on a new imperative like we've never seen before. Almost one-fifth of baby boomers have left the workplace during the COVID pandemic. And lots of women, too, and for entirely different reasons. But that growing older population does represent an opportunity, I believe, to crack the worker shortage constraint. You know, people retire, or just leave, 
or not for various reasons. Simply, maybe it's just the retirement policy of their employer. Maybe there's an awakening as to career satisfaction and asking the question, what do I really want? Now, COVID surely has discouraged in-person work. Some may not just want to go back to the office. They like working remotely. They like distributed work. There's that flexibility thing again. Maybe they choose to retire earlier than normal retirement age to simply enjoy life. Maybe they find themselves needing more flexibility in caring for elderly or sick parents. These are the folks we often call the sandwich generation. Or maybe it's other immediate family members, like children. Maybe it's a reluctance to retire which lies in basic economics. They just can't afford to retire or want retirement to be more doable when they finally do. Now as a cohort, people 55 and older are generally thought of as where the money is. But caution, there's a very wide disparity in this measure between the have and the have-nots. Maybe they want to stay productive, but just maybe with more flexible schedules. They want, to, they want that work-life flexibility. Maybe they just enjoy mentoring and coaching others, so they want to hang around longer and be meaningful. And this, I'm, not, I'm sure, is not by any means an exhaustive list. Maybe some of those who have been part of this great resignation will come back. In fact, at the current rate at which workers are returning, economists say that it would take more than two years to make up for recent departures. So there's a window, as well as an urgency, for employers to adjust their attitudes towards these groups. Now, according to the Census Bureau, 2021 was the first time since 1937 that the U.S. population grew by fewer than one million people and the lowest numeric growth since at least 1900, when the Census Bureau first began population estimates. So yes, it generates this massive aging of the workforce. Boomers are retiring. Millennials are approaching middle age. And Generation Z, which follows them, is comparatively small. The Congressional Budget Office last July reported that the U.S. labor force will grow by a mere two-tenths of one percent a year, starting in 2024 through 2031. The Bureau of Labor Statistics really reported on labor growth, both historically and through their own projections. For instance, in the 1970s, during that first decade, labor growth increased 30.2%. In the decade of the 80s, 17.2%. In the 1990s, 12.6%. Uh-oh, it gets worse from here. In the 2000s, 9.2%. In the 2010s, 7.5%. And in the tw 2020s, it's projected at 4%. So we have a situation where literally millions of people, Americans, have disappeared from the workplace during this great resignation, seemingly architecting their own future of work. And many of them are older. Others just looking for a different situation. This has left businesses scrambling for talent and employers now indicating that maybe they are more willing to increase pay benefits 
provide greater flexibility, better hours, and so on. It seems clear that businesses will now have to increasingly rely on these flexible, ready employees. Find them, satisfy their wants, and know how to retain them. Yet some people have chosen to consider the great resignation as some anti-work expression, like a swarm of individuals gaining undue leverage. I think it signals that we should not be asking, how do we just get people back to the office? But rather, how do we attract and retain talent by ensuring that work, regardless of where it is done, enables purpose and meaning? You know, for most of us, work is central to our identity. Yet, though work is important, we have other identities and responsibilities, maybe as parent or a caregiver, that makes us who we are and what we wish to pursue. So despite these anti-work screeds, people will need to work for a variety of reasons, including income, but also for identity, community, and meaning. This is not a shift about working or not working, but how work is done at a particular time in an individual's career. There will be more flexibility in how talent will work, but also more flexibility in how companies can interact with that talent. Now recently a research report entitled Workplace Equality for All, and then in parentheses, unless they're old, conducted by professors at Stanford University and New York University, revealed that while there was less tolerance for any form of sexism or racism in employment, ageism was still relatively widespread. In fact, even for those that supported less racist and sexist views, weirdly, they were more likely to support ageist views, endorsing the idea of succession. That is, in other words, older adults, workers, should just step aside and make way for younger generations. So beyond that element of flexibility and that other ism, ageism, it lurks in hiring and retention. As the authors of the research report I mentioned said, quote, think of how many hiring decisions, firing decisions, promotions, raises, and opportunities are allocated based on fit, where fit is often a loaded word when it comes to age. Frankly, it's often a code word, have nothing to do with knowledge, skills, or personal attributes. So it begs the question, have employment opportunities, hiring, the thinking and practices associated with it fallen behind the reality and urgency of the current employment market? You know, I think we could all agree right now that customers matter. Surely they do. They pay the bills. But shouldn't we also focus on the behaviors and needs of the people who serve them? So I ask, is your business ready for the comeback kids, younger, or whatever there ism? Not only just being ready for what we expect may be the next frontier of, let's say, technology. I suggest you consider this transformation as a key success factor and keep these constituencies in mind. Ensure your workplace can take advantage of and leverage their talent. Overall, put more flexibility into the hands of employees. Remember, 
Not everyone wants to work 40 to 60 hours a week. Don't miss out on such a large portion of the labor pool, a more contingent workforce. Now, some have suggested that the balance of power has shifted to talent and away from companies. My belief is that for the companies willing to adjust their mindsets, they will always, they will always be the key drivers of economic growth and creators of jobs. None of this is just some passing fad. It's a new reality. Yes, salary is a significant factor, but there are other things that employees, regardless of age, value also. It's what will make them the comeback kids and your company the great attraction. So the takeaway? Well, today in a world of unbundled and distributed work, the great resignation, the need for meaning and a hunger for skill and personal regrowth remain relevant in these transforming times even more resonant. So thanks again for listening, and of course, thanks to our sponsors for this episode, Six River Systems, The Wholesaler Magazine, and Unified Payments Group. In fact, if you would like to sponsor our podcast, get in touch with us for details. Sponsorship is available to industry publications and newsletters, service providers, industry associations, and marketing and buying groups. And another reminder to subscribe to the distribution on the Cusp of Metamorphosis podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You'll receive an automatic notification whenever a new episode is posted. And if you have any questions or comments about anything I've discussed, or maybe just want to tell us what you think of the podcast, please let us know. That truly would be very much appreciated. So with that, so long and stay well.